Welcome to Rogue Opinions. Welcome to Team Godfather. <laughs> and welcome to WrestleMania Night 2 Review. <laughs> yes, that is right. I'm Carl Pierce, and today I'm joined by an almost inconsolable Scott McLeod, who said yesterday, <laughs> nothing will be right ever. That's, so how are you, Scott? Have you pulled yourself together? I, I, I pulled myself together in less, in less than 24 hours after the most iconic duel in all of wrestling of both this and cast aside in the midst of a global pandemic. Got me joking, mate. <laughs> you have indeed but now uh, joking aside it it was another sad day in wrestling uh, a year to the day of black wednesday we have black thursday and yeah it's some of the releases were baffling to be honest really were yeah i think some of them were less surprising than last year because Last year, you had the good bills who just appeared at WrestleMania in a major spot. Some people who kind of been underused for a while. But, you know, there were quite a few like underused people who I wasn't even surprised that WWE didn't have anything for them. But there are a few people who had real potential, I think, in there, like Billy Kay, Peyton Royce. Uh, Kalisto was somebody I was shocked by, you know, with the Lutheran party. And he seemed to be like one of the guys that they really were high on to pitch as part of the Cruiserweight division. Because they seem to be also be teasing that Kalisto and the Richards party were at odds with each other. Even teased it in the Battle Royal, I think, at one point. And then just Kalisto's gone. Yeah, it's very strange. I think the biggest shock, I mean, besides the iconics, obviously, is, is Samoa Joe. Uh, I thought he was quite well-liked in the company. He was doing a really good job on commentary. So, uh, unless it was like a mutual agreement thing, because he wants to uh, get back in the ring and they won't clear him. Um, I'm a bit flummoxed by this one. Mm-hmm. I know, it's weird that the lasting image that we'll have of uh, Samoa Joe in WWE is him in a poncho standing to Michael Cole. But I think he had been itching to get back in the ring and they wouldn't clear him. Like he had back-to-back concussions, apparently, and like he had he had a bit of a bad hit track record with injuries in the last year and a bit of his of his run there. And I don't know if like it's the case of like W won't clear him just in case he gets hurt again and, and they don't want to invest in another program, or if it's the case of he legit probably might not be able to get back in the ring, which would be unfortunate for him. Because you know it's a similar thing with Daniel Bryan, where Daniel Bryan wanted a leave. And try to see if other doctors would clear him because the WWE's doctors wouldn't clear him, and then eventually went back to get another test with the WWE's doctors, and they passed the test that they set out for him, and so he ended up getting cleared, you know. And we've seen Edge come back, so there's nothing to say that Samojo can't come back at some point. But I don't think we should assume that he's going to show up wherever he shows up as a wrestler, given that we don't know the full like details about his injuries. Yeah, but maybe they looked at his contract and thought. Well, you know, I don't want to be paying him that much just to commentate because he's probably on a fair whack more than the likes of Michael Cole and Corey Graves, you'd imagine. So maybe that factored into their decision, but it's still mind-boggling to me. And the Iconics as well. Let's let's split them up, not really do much with either of them, and then uh, release them. Yeah, that was a real blow. I mean... 
when you think about the women's tag division, when they were women's tag team champions, they were barely on TV. A lot of people are annoyed at them for unfairly to their anger on those two when Sasha and Bailey lost when it was not their decision, and then the titles stopped like doing anything. And I was like, yeah, it wasn't their fault. They were doing all sorts of stuff they could do on WWE's like social media and like YouTube exclusive clips was all a compilation of them annoying Kayla Braxton and everything. But, you know, it wasn't you know, their fault. Like, and then they had Paige in a promo basically saying them, calling them cowards and basically tearing into them for not defending their titles. Like, well, oh, yes, WWE, book somebody to call out your champions for not defending when you yourselves aren't booking them to have title defences. Mm-hmm. Well, well in on you guys. And, you know, Mojo Rawley got released. I've never been a fan of Mojo Rawley. I've been on rants and previous podcasts about Mojo Rawley. But it's still, I felt like, I can't, I can't really exactly be happy that guy lost his job. You know, it sucks for him. I was just annoyed at him when he got paired with Zack Ryder because I like Zack Ryder and I felt like he was pulling Zack Ryder down. And then they tried to get him over at the expense of Zack, which is what annoyed me about him at the, the time. Uh, apparently, still some NXT people might get released, and I think it'll end up being some people who are just like PC recruits that haven't worked out, or mainly like live event crews that they're not also using because there are no live events. I would be surprised if we saw any major NXT talent that featured on TV get released, even though we've been they keep signing so many people. As we talked about on our stand and deliver review, NXT seem to be better at uh, utilizing the vast array of talent that they've got right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've heard there might be some more releases on their way. I mean, it's sad whoever it is, but yeah, hopefully it's no one too major. And uh, yeah, I agree with you on Mojo Rowley. Uh, again, don't want to see anyone lose their job, especially in these times, but he, he had quite a few pushes that never seemed to go anywhere. He, he was never the best character or in-ring worker, so you can kind of understand that one. And if anyone's doubt him, what the, the Iconics brought to the table, just have a look at, just go to YouTube, type in Iconics and have a look at some of their little skits they did when they got their side plates for the tag belts, when they won the tag belts, when they, Billy Kay's birthday, they just go up to superstars and annoy <laughs> them to death. And they're just, it's all improv and it's just so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bo Dallas, I think, got let go as well, and uh, Chelsea Green got released. You know, she had a bad run of injury as well. Got injured in NXT. I think I didn't watch NXT TV other than like a brief thing with that Robert Stone. Kelly SmackDown was meant to win a four-way match to get into Team SmackDown. Got injured during the match, and so mid-match they had to change it to Liv Morgan winning the match. So, and also I've heard that a lot of people are angry at John Laurinaitis. Like on social media because apparently he's become that he was the guy he's came back into a major role and he's been behind cutting some of these people due to budget cuts uh, which I think if you've seen the last year and what WWE's been doing financially uh, it's a bit like you're talking at your arse there and I think Chelsea Green and Samoa Joe hopefully will end up back in Impact Wrestling you know both uh, from themselves there you know, Chelsea Green used to be Laurel Van Ness she was a former Knockouts champion yeah, it does also having to be good friends with current Knockouts champion Joanna Perazzo and also is engaged to Matt Cordona, a.k.a. Zack Ryder. So I think it's like there's an easy home for her. And quite anything else, everybody's non-compete clause comes up on the 14th of July. Yeah, uh, I think 
I think it's a bit unfair to blame Laurinaitis. He's only he's only doing what Vince McMahon's telling him to do. He he doesn't make those decisions, but he's just been the man that's made to be the monster because he's been given the job of um, firing them. I don't know if he's come up with the excuse himself or that's what he's been told to go with. But make no mistake, it's it'll be all Vince McMahon. And uh, yeah, I mean, be nice to see people show up in different promotions. I think the Iconics could perhaps do well on Impact or or NWA because they were quite good with their comedy segments, especially with uh, people like the late uh, Question Mark, God rest his soul, and uh, other things. So uh, yeah, if they get if they can wisely keep them as a pair again, uh, I think they could do quite well in in some promotions personally. Yeah, because like you talk about people who are in get married to or in relationships with other promotions, that like, you know, we all know Peyton Royce is uh, engaged to Sean Spears, who's in AEW, so there's a path for her. Maybe oh, Billy will come I think, I think they're married. I think they're married now, actually. I don't know. But like Billy can could go where you know, I think those two together would be a good boost for the AEW Women's Division. They could become mm. the Iconics, which is one eye. To, you know, evade a lawsuit, and uh, Mickey James got released, and we all know. She's married to uh, Nick Aldis, NWA champion, so there's a, an opportunity for her there. I think she was definitely wasting, you know, the idea of her coming in as the Legends role was never really fully taken advantage of. And, like, she was on commentary for Stand and Deliver on the pre-show and then just got released, which feels a bit bad for her. It feels like they were actually using her for something, you know. I remember the last thing she did was she got a, a title opportunity against Asuka, which they'd never took full advantage of that potential program because Mickey first came back to fight Asuka in NXT and, you know, they were running out of opponents for Asuka because they just run through Harvey, Sasha and Bailey for the previous two months before that. And, uh, apparently, Mickey was selling an injury during the match, which made the referee call the match, thinking she was actually injured. And then it was only afterwards she came out on Twitter and went, yeah, not injured. The referee just made a mistake. And then she did nothing after that. Like, you think... With the women's side title, she could find a place for her trying to mentor somebody like a Nikki Cross or even Peyton Royce when she was split from the Iconics about, you know, as a mentor in the up-and-comer kind of role for the tag team titles. Yeah, it was a very strange one with um, with, Mickey, with Mickey James. They brought her back and uh, they just didn't really do a hell of a lot with her, as you say, besides the match with Asuka. Uh, very... Very strange one, to be honest. But there you go. Well, hopefully they all find uh, gainful employment elsewhere. And you never know if they do well enough. They, they might find themselves back in WWE at some point if they if they want to get back there. You just never know. Right, uh, it is weird that it was a year on. But again, there is, last year's ones have shown that they, there is opportunities elsewhere. It is going to be interesting come July 14th. I heard that's a Wednesday. So somebody could easily show up on Dynamite that same night if they wanted to. I uh, remember last year there was all this like tease around uh, July 18th for last year's releases, and that was the same day as Impact Slammiversary. And you had a bunch of people at like the Good Brothers and Eric Young and that showing up there. So there's there's hope for those guys, and there's the opportunity some of them could like opt out of their non-compete if they want to go somewhere straight away because more places are running shows now. Because we all heard like Andrade got released as well, and He's uh, said that said that he's also uh, he didn't have a non-compete clause. So, other outside of them, it's, it's weird the kind of like amount of people that have left WWE in the last year outside of these like block releases. The amount of people that have asked to leave, 
the member revival has to leave shortly before last year's Black Wednesday, and now this year we've lost, you know, the likes of uh, Andrade. I remember Lars Sullivan, they finally let him go. Yeah, and um, I don't know, it's strange that they've still got people knocking around, um, like Velveteen Dream and that, that have got um, some quite suspect accusations thrown their way. I'll be careful what I say because I don't want to. <laughs> make, make myself or rogue opinions liable even though we've got no money but but still but you know it, it's funny that they're they're still there when you know they've got quite serious allegations thrown their way and uh yeah people who are doing well have um been shown the door i mean you can't can't tell me the iconics of where's and lana for instance oh or fucking tamina but you know mm. they're not. Like, sadly, the iconics aren't related to anybody in wrestling. But you know, with, I, I almost went down a really bad rabbit hole with people's accusations when me and Nathan did a WrestleMania preview. So I'll, I'll try not to go too far doing that. But I think with like people who are on TV who have been talked about compared to those who have been let go or aren't on TV, like Velveteen Dream, shows maybe the seriousness of certain allegations compared to others, or at least how WWE perceives them. Because like a lot of people questioned the use of Matt Riddle. But then there were stories that Matt Riddle had provided evidence against the refuting the woman who had been accusing him and saying that she'd actually been stalking him. So, you know, it depends on the certain case. But I think the fact that Dream came back, went away, and then like, Dream went away, came back, and so that's the Kushida feud uh, where he was turned to you because probably people were going to boo him anyway. And then new evidence coming out and then him going away again shows there's the seriousness to that. And you think, well, I hope maybe with the NXT releases uh, coming because they haven't came out yet when we were recording this, there's a chance that they may decide that he's more trouble than he's worth having him on the books. So he might be showing the door as well. Yeah, I I can't see him ever getting over like they hoped he he would do after, with, all, with all this. I mean, they've never been able to come out and say, look, all this is... If they'd have come out and said, all oh, this is nonsense and is... And there's proof to say it's nonsense, or at least made some attempt to, but they haven't. They've just they just put him back on TV and hoped it would go away, and it it just hasn't. And it, I don't think it will. But that that's up yeah. to that. That's up to the WWE at the end of the day. Yeah, it, we and Jimmy talked about it months ago uh, when he was still appearing back on TV despite allegations, and we talked about that there was a story that. Uh, like Triple H came out or somebody from NXT high up would kick out and said that they'd been looking into it and investigating that in, internally but then and talking to people who have accused Dream and then one of these accusers came out and said nobody from WWE or NXT has contacted me so it is a very shaky situation I think we should move on from that and the releases now uh, before yeah. we depress any, any further <laughs> any legal follow yeah because uh, talking about depressing things but the first match oh dear god yeah thankfully though uh, it was night two it got off to like the start it was meant to and there was no uh, there was no like rain delays or anything this time around but I know the first two matches weren't the best like start to WrestleMania night two but I, I do have to say I don't agree with a lot of the, the comments out there how much bad how much worse night two was than night one. So, you know, 
a lot of people say, no, well, night one, night two certainly under-delivered in or was underwhelming. Like, how can you say that? Especially when we talk about the fucking main event. Like, if a full show is bad, usually people remember the main event. If the main event's good, you should remember it for that. And the main event was excellent, even though I agree that the first two matches were got to a bad start. I think maybe night two especially, maybe because a lot of heels seem to have won on night uh, two, is what people think about it, but because I think it was Lance Thorne that tweeted out a thing of all the champions now, and I think the only face champion on the main roster, excluding maybe the 24-7 title. Yeah, Bill has a face. Yeah, although they say they're presenting Ripley as a heel. I've not really seen it. I think they just, she attacked Asuka on the go-home Raw in a tag match because she wants her title at WrestleMania. I don't see why Ripley's the heel here. More of a tweener, I would say, Ripley is at the at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, have her heel and then come have her in that same with uh, Ricky Hill and Bianca on NXT. All three of them getting the girls. Apparently, oh look how far they've come. And yet, like I'd say that two out of those three are heels. I mean, Raquel's probably now moving towards a tweener as well. So two two tweeners in a face, and that segment because you can't have two heels in that kind of segment while you're congratulating them for how far they've come. Yeah, it did look like they were baby-facing uh, Raquel Gonzalez. Personally, mm-hmm. I'd have doubled down on her heel and uh, had her attack uh, Dakota Kai. Like, I don't need you anymore, and, um, you know, powerbomb her into oblivion, and then you could have set up uh, a feud. You know Raquel's going to win, but it would still have been... Uh, a very watchable feud between her and Dakota Kai before she transitions into, uh, you know, some more um, interesting stuff. Because, you know, someone like Raquel's not going to lose her first title defense anyway. So you might as well do something like that and then transition her into something else. But, yeah, it did seem like they were baby-facing her. And possibly a first defense might be uh, Mercedes Martinez and then perhaps moving on to Frankie Monet. But uh, anyway, we're going, we're going way off track with, uh, <laughs> with that. Yeah. I, I thought I'd just say that because uh, Nathan put WrestleMania 37, the good, okay, the good one on it. I didn't ask him to put that there. He put that there. And I, <laughs> I think he just, I don't think, I don't think Nathan's even watched WrestleMania either night. So I don't know. I think he's just going off what he's heard about it, and I said I mentioned something like I don't see what the issue was with night two. I don't think it was that much worse than night one, night one because like I like night one, but it's not as if like I disagree with every match on night two, just the first two. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. After just rewatching some of the matches, uh, the, after the first two matches, it, it really did pick up and and get really good. I think to be honest. Yeah, but I, I do agree. Maybe the first match was a bit rough. Uh, it was. I was surprised that the Fiend Orton was chosen to start the show, and I'm also even more surprised that it was in front of the arena. I think they decided to, as long as for this show particularly when there's live fans there, uh, they decided to like not do the the cinematic thing, and like save that for when you've got back in the Thunderdome and things like that, because that does seem like a one-off. And apparently, they've got people involved in that say that next time we do a show in front of fans it won't be another one-off, next time we do a show in front of fans that's it, we're back full time also they don't know when that's going to be but I did like the, the Fiend like video when he was walking through that tunnel where he's, he was all burned and then he slowly transitions and he's got a new 
Well, a similar mask, but kind of different. I thought it looked more Green Goblin than Joker. Esco didn't know his everything. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And it, it it was a little bit disappointing, like you say, because we were all fantasizing, oh, we're we going to get this cinematic match and what's it going to be like and what's going to happen? How is he going to expose Randy Orton? Oh, no way. Orton just beats him in like six minutes. But, you know. <laughs> if you want to know what I thought it was exactly what it was going to be, just looking back to our fantasy booking board, I basically picked it exactly as I thought it was going to be if it was a, a fun house match. But, yeah, Dorton coming out. I really like Dorton's like white and red gear, which a lot of people pointed out. Edge had a similar like look for his gear, so mm. rated RKO having uh, similar colours. And then uh, Alexa comes out with the uh, in our fun house gear, and then has the giant Jack in the Box. Which I wonder, like I know they probably showed that while they showed the video of the fiend like getting his new mask. But I'm wondering who exactly do you sneak that in there? Like I imagine. Like that is the same process of like when randomly the giant zero box appeared at thirty two. It's like, oh, exactly do you get that there? No idea. But yeah, I must admit the <laughs> the uh, the entrance for the Alexa Bliss and the Fiend was pretty cool. The big Jack in the Box thing and uh, Alexa Bliss turning it. Just to sidetrack a little bit, have you seen the little clip on Twitter with Logan Paul and someone else? watching it and someone saying and this is going to turn it beyond no I've, I've not, I, don't, I don't know why you would bring this to my attention <laughs> it just it's just so I just thought it was so wrong and I, I just stumbled across this little gif clip on twitter and just like just you know keep these things to yourself and why why post it on twitter yeah like I was kind of, part of me was at first disappointed like, that he just paused at the box, even though it was a cool visual, because uh, I wanted to see the full fiend entrance with the lantern and everything, a fast in ages, and especially the big arena. But, you know, the, the aesthetic of him popping out the jack-in-the-box was... Uh, I didn't appreciate them having the red lights on, again, in the outdoor venue. Oh, yeah. That was the, re- the return of the red lights. I flipping hate the red lights. And... Uh, apparently, from I've like, uh, uh, we look at the match, uh, everything seems like it's set up for the feed to just destroy Randy Orton because he's no selling everything. He's sending Randy Orton throwing him into the announce table. He's just no selling moves, and like apparently he was meant to win, but then they changed it the Friday before, and apparently Vince and Bruce Pitcher were involved in it. And initially, the plan was Fiend wins and that rates Randy Orton off for a bit, but now Randy won. And he was then involved in a triple threat the night next day on Ross. So I don't know what the plan is in terms of Randy leaving if he wants time off or something like that. But yeah, then that, I think one of the only moves he hit in the match was the RKO to get the win after uh, Alexa appeared. And what I described watching it as our, our black swan mode. <laughs> a weird black yeah. thing around her head. And like, it was just weird. I did like that Braid. T's going for the punt because uh, when he was such a he got written off TV with a punt for Morton. So we, we, we call back there. And uh, like, I don't think people were as annoyed in the arena from I thought. Like, they were annoyed that Randy won, but I think they thought immediately after something was going to go down between Alexa and Bray. And then when nothing did happen, the lights went off and they came back on and everybody was gone. That's when the booze really rained in, which was uh, maybe not the best start to WrestleMania. 
It was a yeah, it was a weird one. I'm I'm sick of this black goo stuff, and it, it just looked ridiculous with Alexa Bliss with that weird headgear thing and all that goo all over it, black whatever it was all over her face. And yeah, somehow the the fiend can no sell everything, but not the RKO. So how deadly is the RKO? It's obviously up there with a Walter Chop and a Bianca Blair Belair um, hair whip. Well, clearly up there with the fucking jackhammer because, like, similar to when he got beat by Goldberg, gets pinned, he's able to get kept there for three seconds, but then immediately pops back up after that. So, which is weird. So you're telling me if they maybe took longer to get the cover, then he would pop back up because, like, the few times Fiend's lost, he's immediately got back up. Like, there's no point in trying to protect him now, and it seems like they're trying to then rush themselves into this Fiend versus Alexa thing which I'm not sure this is going to go as the likes are going to bring someone else in to fight the Fiend because I doubt this is going to lead to some sort of Alexa versus Fiend match because when you've seen for what happened with when Alexa fought Randy at Fastly and I say that loosely because that was barely a match. Yeah, and she had this weird doll thing, didn't she, on, on Raw? Mm-hmm. It's a CGI to... A smile or something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just done with it all now. The, the fiend scene. I don't know. How you salvage the fiend f- from this. He's, he's just lost too many times. I just, I don't know. It's all, it's all bollocks <laughs> to me. I think they just need to drop it and come up with something else. Personally, yeah. Because I think with this is like it did seem like it was all set to be like the fiend win because. The Fiend went after Orton because of Leslie past sins. The Fiend goes after people that have wronged Ray in the past. And then he gets set on fire and then he goes away, which you know things get come back and eventually get his revenge. And then after months of Alexa and Randy and Randy getting slightly sunburned by Alexa Bliss's fireball <laughs> and then she goes to the Rumble with no stars whatsoever and then the whole black goo and everything and confronted with Demon Randy for some reason. They all stick up for the fiend to return, which he does, and then the fiend loses, so fiend doesn't get his revenge. And the like, the most obvious picture I think on this whole thing was fiend wins, and suddenly decided on the Friday before somehow that oh that's too obvious. Let's have Orton win. People will love that. Yeah, I mean all this bill. I mean, what it's, it's like four or five months of bill just. Just have Randy Orton winning six minutes with an RKO. It's just wasted everybody's time, Vince. I mean, they only wasted five minutes, 50 of my time with that. They then wasted 14 minutes and 20 seconds of my time with Nia and Shayna versus Natalia and Tamina. Is that, is that all it was? I thought it went on forever. So did I. So did I. Cause, <laughs> uh, I knew as soon as Nia and Tamina won. I remembered me and Rebel were taking a piss out of uh, a couple of years ago when Nia and Tamina were on opposite ends of a SmackDown Women's versus Raw Women's Survivor Series match. And Tamina, I, she must have been joking because she couldn't have been serious when she did this. But she took a photo, she had the photo of her and Nia faced up and put it next to like Hogan v. Audrey Rock. Hogan <laughs> and famous like stared And so like some moments are etched in time or whatever and ties Nia in it. And like, are they serious about this? And then as soon as they, they won the gauntlet. I mean, really taking the piss out of it and like, oh, they're going to have to have their epic moment. And then I immediately went, they're going to try and do an Andre Hogan thing and have Tamina slam Nia, aren't they? 
And then early into the match, you see Tamir try and feel to slam her. And she tries it again. I'm like, God, they are doing that, aren't they? And then she does slam her. And I use that term loosely because, <laughs> God, does it look awful. I mean, this match just needed to be like eight minutes long, perhaps, tops. And I think it would have been a half-decent tag team match if they kept it short. But, yeah, the, you know... I think Shane is really the only worker that's capable of uh, doing a longer match out of those those lot, to be honest. And <clears throat> Natalia and Tamina have been there well over 10 years. I mean, they should be able to do a lot better than they can manage. But there you go. It is, it is what it is. But at least at least Shane was able to win with the Kurafida clutch at last. I mean, the last few months, everyone's been getting out of it with considerable ease. Yeah. And, you know, part of me, like, was annoyed when Natalia and Tamia won because I, like, I, was, I was hoping, God, I hope they don't win. And I was glad to see Shane didn't have to lose to Tamina or Natalia. But then also maybe a second, like, oh, God, they're still tight chance. Why can't Shane get away from this like, <laughs> watching boulder that is Nia Jax? And fucking Reginald as well. Uh, I like Reggie, but you should be cruiserweight champion, be far away from from all of this. Maybe get that brick, that backstabber Kushida who ruined my whole draft. But I'm, well, my first wish is cleared, mate. But yeah, I was hoping that Nia and Tamina would eventually lose the titles at WrestleMania, and I thought the the gauntlet the night before was a perfect opportunity, kind of like Gargano Bronson Reed, because yeah, Bronson Reed didn't win, but you know. Bronson was still a, a welcome surprise, even though he wasn't who I thought was going to win. He still ended up having a good match. Whereas this was the opposite of that. When you had obvious choices like <laughs> the Ryan squad and that there, he then had the worst possible option and a no-win situation, which led to a very difficult-to-watch match. I think, though, yeah, I think the Riot Squad would have been better winners. I mean, Ruby White Riot's a, a good wrestler, and I think Liv Morgan's come on leaps and bounds. Every time I see her, she looks like she's improved. Uh, so I wouldn't have been against that at all. And I, I know we think Shayna should be doing better, but I think actually she might be quite lucky she's tagged with uh, Naya at the moment because she's someone that Vince doesn't get from everything you hear and maybe if she hadn't been paired with Nairobi Tag Champs she might have been one of those packing her bags um, yesterday, you don't know Yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be a hard thing to think about, but now it seems like they're going to a feud with Mandy and Dana, I don't know what you think about the possibility of Mandy and Dana being the ones to take the titles, or if they were really keen on doing this as a thing again why didn't Matt and Dana win the gauntlet match? Exactly. I'm not huge fans of them two as a team. I don't think either are brilliant in ring. It's a shame they, they haven't got, you know, they couldn't pair, pair them both up with someone a bit more experienced. Maybe Man, maybe Mandy Rose and Mickey James, for instance, might have been hmm. a decent tag team. Maybe. Some someone who knows the ropes and could have helped hide um, Mandy's weaknesses and perhaps even helped to uh, improve her on, in the long run. But um, but that can't happen now. We we both know why they're together. No, no, they're not, I mean... two blonde girls with. Um, Big fake, you know what? I was going to say they're blind and they flex. I think that's the main thing that they I'm, do. I mean, I'm that too, I'm that too. 
Get your mind out the gutter, Carl. But <laughs> we, uh, what these do, I like Mandy. She's clearly tried a lot. I remember when she got put against Asuka in 2019, she clearly wasn't ready for that match and she got a lot of unfair stick for it. She's really came on, I think. Dana Brooke, though, as much as she tries, hasn't developed as nearly as much as she should have. And I think she was really exposed when she did get a lot of opportunities when she was like Charlotte's protege or like, I remember I, 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 didn't give her a chance for a long time after she tried to cut a promo on Ronda Rousey and fucked it completely. When she went, I'm not a, I may not be a household name like you. It's like that weird change in pitch. So like, why did you choose that exact moment to just suddenly go all high like, like you? Like, <laughs> part of me thinks that maybe they, I've got a weird conspiracy thing at the back of my brain that thought maybe they were meant to win the gauntlet and then Vince changed his mind as to this as soon as Manny Rose fell on her arse. Like, oh God, they won't take them seriously as challenges anymore. Fuck it. Let, let Natalia <laughs> Tamino win. <laughs> you never know with Vince. I mean, to be fair, um, Diana Brooke looks like she's a pretty decent athlete when you you know you see her doing all the backflips and whatnot, but I, wrestling just isn't for her, to, to be honest. I've got nothing against any of these girls personally. It's just... It's just annoying to see them in such high-profile spots when they're not the best in ring. And there's Bailey scraping by WrestleMania and um, backstage skits where she could have been tagging with somebody and uh, setting the ring alight. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know where a bit that happened, but I was going to say, just want to talk about the, the Bailey thing here because she does some more random segments. There's a thing with Titus. Bogan and Bischoff, uh, which seems to just be purpose of the segment basically said mean purpose of this segment just basically seemed to be mention every Bischoff's podcast the all available opportunity. Which to be fair, it's a good podcast. I've listened to it very regularly. And then she came out at the end when Hogan and uh Titus were on the stage and then the, the Bells came out and they had a thing with Bale where they kind of you know, they threw her down the ramp which everybody disliked, which they mainly disliked it because one, it was the Bellas, and two, it, it wasn't Becky. Legit, it, was just, it was basically because, oh, it's the Bellas. Like, was anybody else, even if it wasn't Becky, I think people would still like it because it seemed to be that you know, this is the whole point of it. You know, she's not booked, but she's there to annoy you. Eventually, she's going to get her mouth shut. And yeah, maybe I think there, I, there was an idea for doing a ding dong hello thing with Becky. And then Becky would also beat her up, maybe. But maybe Becky isn't ready yet, or she doesn't feel like coming back. Unless she's come back for a full time thing, yeah. When we were recording this before SmackDown, she could have appeared on SmackDown for all I know. But you know, there was all that rumors that Vince wanted her to wrestle at Mania, and basically had to be explained like Vince, like she's had a kid like three months ago, so she's not physically enough to do a match. I don't think WWE would even want her to do an angle, let alone a match. Yeah, uh, be interesting to see when Becky does come back if she does want to come back. So it'd be something to. Look forward to. I think WWE has missed her star power uh, a little bit. And yeah, it was quite surprising because the Bellas got cheered when they initially came out. But yeah, as soon as they started beating up Bailey, they got um, they got booed out of the bloody arena, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, fucking, I'd take these two fighting Nia and Tamina on this night than fucking Natalia and Tamina. So. But uh, yeah. There you go. That's, that's what they wanted to book, so that's what we got stuck with. Yep, but thankfully, to to save us, 
we've got Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens out there doing what they do best to help save this show and get it off and help it. Like it was all up from here, I think. Yeah, I mean, these two have been wrestling each other in in the Indies and WWE for years. So, I mean, they they were never going to have a bad match. This was always going to be class. And um, just got one question for you, though, Scott. What's that? Who in the blue hell is Logan Paul? Uh, I believe Logan and his brother Jake were big YouTube stars back in the day. I think Logan in particular got in trouble for filming a thing in a forest in Japan where uh, allegedly people go to that forest to kill themselves. And he oh, right. filmed the thing where he, he he filmed the thing where he and his friends found a dead boy, which then found to be fake, and he got a lot of shit for it. But he's apparently done a lot better since then. According to you, he's apparently matured since then. He's done some box for charity against other YouTubers he's done a podcast apparently he's, he's supposed to be according to some people not as much of a dick as he used to be uh, and so Sammy Zayn dropped his name in a promo I don't think he was actually maybe it maybe but because he responded to Sammy's tweet to, to him that then got the wheels turning so you know he's clearly he, I think he, he's one of these celebrities that gets that even if he doesn't watch wrestling I don't know what his relationship is with wrestling but he seems to be like somebody who gets it, and like he didn't really overstay his welcome or outshine anybody because he sat at ringside. He basically gave his reactions as you would to some of the moves that uh, Sammy and Kevin were pulling out, and and, he, and for those who didn't like him, they got satisfied at the end when he got stunnered, and he sold it. I mean, wasn't exactly rock levels of selling the stunner, but it was still better than fucking Linda McMahon that one time. Yeah, it was uh, fair play to him taking the stunner, and he sold it almost a bit like Bret Hart did in uh, Survivor Series '96. If you've ever seen that match, <laughs> I have. Yeah, I have. So, so you know, took inspiration from a true legend. <laughs> yeah, because clearly Logan Paul is always influenced by Bret Hart. But <laughs> I did the match itself went about nine or so minutes, and I thought, like, I know, like. The whole thing was set around Sammy being nuts. You know, I don't know if you've seen the Always Sunny episode where Charlie Day's character has the big, all the bits of paper, the red tape, and just the words Pepe Silva eh, in the middle where he thinks he's uncovered the conspiracy while he's working in a mail room. Eh, but that's what I imagine Sammy's in to be like this conspiracy. And we thought, well, it's upset around that. We've got a celebrity involved, but we've got nine minutes as well. Let's cram as many of our old empty moves around. Can we just stop there? So, so you're so you're telling me, right? Sammy Zayn and Kevin Owens get nine minutes, and Tamina and Natalia versus Shayna and Naya get fourteen minutes. Can can, can, we, can we see the problem there? They get exactly five minutes more than these two guys. If <laughs> Wikipedia, the most reliable bit of information out, out there on the internet, is to be believed. <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> who is booking this shit I mean, can you imagine if Sammy and Sammy and Kevin got 14 minutes I mean it would have been even more stellar than it than it already was yeah, giving bloody I mean, more time to bloody that text Jesus I mean, what you should have done here look at these times here the tag, the IC title match got six minutes fifty. So what we do here, we take the fiend match to get that six minutes fifty. We give five minutes fifty to 
19 a week of uh, 9 minutes to Apollo v Biggie and the 14 minutes to Kevin Owens and Sammy. The rest of the match lengths can stay as they are. Mm. But I think if like, we get Sammy Kevin clearly had the thought of, well, you know, we've got this spot with Logan at the end. It's all about conspiracy and all that. People have seen us wrestle a bunch of times, but this is a WrestleMania. So let's basically go out there and do some of our best spots, some of our biggest uh, moves. You had Owens doing like a fisherman suplex across the knee. It spots off the, it's in their main spots off the middle rope. You had Sammy hitting the Michinoku driver, which Cole mistakenly called the Blue Thunder <laughs> Bomb. And then he hit the actual Blue Thunder Bomb uh, later on. And my brother kind of gave me a kind of laugh when I was annoyed about him getting the move wrong. But like, they are very different moves. Michinoku driver is basically a Sarah slam, whereas Blue Thunder Bomb is you hold them sideways and then flip them around. So. They are very different moves in terms yeah. of the action required to deliver and, the move. And Cole has been doing this for over 25 years, so he, he should know his moves by now. That's that's be honest. And also, I love the fact that Kevin Owens teased doing this uh, package pile driver, which he hasn't done since the Indies, which he'd never be allowed to do uh, in WWE. But it was a nice little callback that he actually teased uh, doing it. Yeah. And also, when he was delivering like the pop up power bomb and everything, I feel like I got to have a pop from me because he's become like the, the guy who does the stunner now because they kind of turned him in. They always try to do it, make him like the new like Steve Austin in terms of being the everyman or something like that. But I kind of miss him doing the pop up power bomb because you know he can kind of do that on everybody as well because like he's over the pop up power bomb to fucking Mark Henry one time. So that's an accomplishment in and of itself. But Logan Paul and yeah. like overseas welcomes, I said, like he. He was there reacting like, oh, and it was like kind of the same way you would if you'd seen like the moves for the first time, like the, that movie does, like the fisherman across the, the knee. So he didn't really overstay his welcome, and Owen's the winning, I think, was the right result. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Sammy's got himself so over with this deluded uh, conspiracy gimmick that he can just take loss after loss after loss, and it, it just won't hurt him at this point. So he's found a really good sort of niche for himself at the moment. Uh, I don't know how long he can carry on this gimmick, but it's uh, it's a riot at the moment, so hopefully they can ring it out for, for, what, for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> as far as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I uh, I think the more he loses, the more it fuels the idea of the conspiracy. And you think about it, because you can blame him all sorts of things on his losses. But I, I, I remember I've heard a few people talking about. Uh, well, I talked before last time, like about Cesaro or Damien Priest being involved in Money in the Bank. I had my brother and a couple of people, other people on a ESR podcast recently. Uh, talking about the idea of what if Sammy won money in the bank and this is the idea of him fighting back against the conspiracy and you have crazed Sammy Zane with the mic going around with his money in the bank briefcase I think would be uh, really fun and uh, I did like the call back to Battleground in 2016 that time where it was maybe their final ever match which we knew that was never going to be the case but I mean, we did the Luva kick like the same way he did his man match we kicked him but then held him up and said you did this and then when he went for the second loop kick, on, unlike last time, this time, uh, Owen said a super kick, said, no, you did this, and hit him with a stunner, and then beat him, I thought, a class bit of storytelling there for these two. Yeah, definitely. This was, uh, for, for nine minutes, this was uh, an awesome match. It really was It really was great. I enjoyed it. A little bit afterwards, I don't know. I think maybe they thought the Logan Ball 
Shove and Sammy was going to get a pop. I think we all knew him and Sammy weren't going to get along at the end, but I thought maybe he and Owen were going to like celebrate together at the end, but maybe they said beforehand, yeah, some of these people probably aren't going to like you, so let's just judge the crowd, and if they hate me, you can give me a stunner. Because he had Pop Logan like, with a big smile on his face, like, thinking he and Owen's are pals now, and then Owen just stares up stairs at the crowd, saying, like, like, yes, please stun him, and Owen's just like, stun him, like, fuck it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Austin just used to stunner everyone, even even other baby faces, and he'd still get a pop. So mm-hmm. it, it makes it makes sense either way. I was kind of sat there waiting for it and thinking, any minute now, Kevin's going to stunner him. I'm sure of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think one of the few actual baby face wins on this night was Kevin Owens, like the only like true baby face, no like tuner or heel, like. Like one's the only actual babyface to get a win on this night. Yeah, it's it's crazy how uh, how well heels are doing lately. But heels do seem to get more over than babyfaces these days for one reason or another. I mean, you get quite a few big babyface pops like the night before, like uh, Cesaro and Bad Bunny and that, and then uh, Bianca at the end. So maybe they thought, ah, faces are doing, faces get night one, heels get night two. But you think perhaps. it'd be the other way around. <laughs> yeah, perhaps so. But uh, yeah, really enjoyable match, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I enjoyed it basically. They just went out, like, decided, like, the build's been a bit weird. I know some people don't like Logan Paul, but let's just have one of like, the sleeper hit matches of the night where it's just how talented we are. And then I think it got brilliantly followed up by the next one, where it's basically a case of two guys like, Let's just bat each other because we're fucking we're hard as anything. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is a this is a, another really good match. And one thing I liked about um, the, the matches after the second match because they um, weren't lost a great deal of time. There was no feeling out process. All, all the matches just seemed to start off with a bang, didn't they? Which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Basically, because like, I think they'd forgotten the Fusion Mansion because it's two um, nights and they decided to go like three, three and a bit hours. And they really stuck to that because sometimes they say they're going to go a certain length and then they go a bit longer, but they really stuck to that that length. And like, there wasn't that much build. It's just a case of Sheamus is taking some big losses. Riddle goes around on a scooter and has a, the US title, and, and Sheamus is annoyed about that. So Sheamus wants to batter Matt Riddle and take his US title. And Riddle apparently wasn't even meant to be the US champ. I think Keith Lee was meant to win the title, but Keith is not medically cleared at the minute, so Riddle got the belt. And I think it was the right idea for Sheamus to win because Sheamus, I think, really deserves it. It's a shame that this wasn't the IC title he was winning because apparently if Sheamus wins the IC title, he officially becomes a Grand Slam champion, which I'd like to see happen for him because I think he, I think he got pushed very early on and he's, when he initially came in. So he got a lot of flack for a long time and people only the last couple of years have really noticed how like obviously started appreciating how good Seamus actually is. Yeah, um since he sort of um gone um gone on a single run again, he's been incredible, especially the last uh, twelve months or so. I mean some really hard hitting matches and uh, yeah, I've been really impressed with Seamus. As you said, he's really starting to show what he can do, and he thoroughly deserves to 
reign as US champion for a, a while now. And what a finish to the match. I loved that finish. That was uh, some mm. great timing by both competitors that uh, bro kick Matt Riddle while he's flipping upside down, hitting him square in uh-huh. the face. That was a, that was an awesome finished there was perhaps a, a little bit of a botch which i don't think hurt the match is when um it looked like sheamus was going for a white noise off the top rope but he sort of lost his balance but it was getting late on in the match and they'd beaten seven bells out of each other so uh it was understandable that would happen so i don't think it really hurt the match to be fair yeah i think when you, you yeah, there's a mistake like the the, the best thing a the thing that really helps it is helps or hinders it is how you recover from it because Seamus was like, meant, probably meant to do it from the middle rope then obviously slipped and then immediately just got look at your turn to go back up he went fuck it and had a standing boot yeah. so he, <laughs> yeah, he, just, he recovered kind of quickly and Seamus is a veteran the fact that he held on to Riddle as well and didn't let him go before delivering the move is some strength in, in Seamus and yeah some people I've heard in other parties like, I've been very quick to point out like, yeah, it was good but oh you know that botch you know like yeah, but you try holding uh, like a near two hundred pound man on your back and not slipping. The fact that he has to hold on to him as well, I think seems to be commended for just following up on it and not dropping middle on his neck when he, he, he slipped. And yeah, the the finish itself was a hell of a move. And like you see, Riddle looked like he was legit like busted up, like his mouth and everything was he was spitting out blood and everything. And I think that she just said to continue and also. I think a perfect moment you could have done for Riddle this night is they actually got a segment with him and Rob RVD uh, earlier on in the night where RVD was talking about his own brand of rolling papers. Yeah, I mean, if uh, I, I want RVD to hang around for a bit and you know, pairing RVD up and, and Riddle, it's just like stone to heaven. You, you could just have your own, dude, where's my car going on between them two? Dude, where's my scooter? <laughs> I mean, I remember when RVD was in Impact, uh, me and Paul, we started our series covering Impact uh, shortly before RVD left Impact, and I remember pitching a story because MSK, uh, when they were still there as part of the Rascals, as part of their thing used to be like uh, wheat and everything, like they used to do these three-year things which were very similar to the, the basement scenes from like that 70s show, and like, there's even a bong sound effect like, in the start of their entrance scene, and I pitched this idea to Paul of a storyline impact where it's revealed that somehow RVD is the rascal's dad, even though <laughs> like, even though they're different ethnicities, like he can be like the original Dudleys, like the one dad but but different mums. And <laughs> RVD, the storyline where RVD manages his sons and the rascals. You could actually believe that with RVD though, and uh, his reputation at the moment with. Being a bit of a ladies' man and whatnot, and he's certainly old enough to be their dad. I think he's older than me, RVD, <laughs> so, and I'm old enough to be their dad. So, uh, <laughs> but we'll just we'll just bypass that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the thing with the, the botch, though, before we move on, from that is, uh, if Riddle kicked out, I don't know if he kicked out because he uh, because it was botched or or not, or if he was just scheduled to kick out because. Given that also that clearly wasn't the finish because you can't. I'd be amazed if they didn't if they improvised the moonsault broke kick spot because they've had to have planned that up beforehand. So maybe it's for the best that they did the botch because if the a white noise from the middle rope isn't the finish, I don't know what's the point in doing a spot like that at all. 
<laughs> other than just like they have a big like false finish in the middle of the match. Yeah, definitely, and I don't get any criticism. Um, it wasn't a horrendous botch, and as you say, when you battered the absolute shite out of each other, like those pair had, uh, it is quite believable that you'd be a bit woozy and lose your balance when you're on the ropes, to be fair. And must admit, I love the sell job by Riddle. I mean, he might have been stoned for all I know, but he, he looked like he just, he looked completely glazed over, like he didn't know where he was after that broke kick. So, uh, really good job by both men in my book. Yeah. New, US, new US champion thoroughly deserved. Yeah, I said it was a t- it was just shy of eleven minutes, and like it was what you kind of need in the middle. So I think it's going to be what Riddle needs because he looked kind of pissed off afterwards. And so maybe that plus like getting battered by Bobby Lashley in the following Raw will be what kind of the kick in the arse Riddle needs, and maybe won't be so unbearable on uh, on TV. And I'm glad on the second night that both uh, the Midcard titles got a showcase. But okay, I'm just slightly sad that the next one for the IC title maybe didn't get a few minutes more time because it felt like it was very rushed I thought yeah it didn't get very much time at all but um, Biggie got his big entrance with uh, Wally is it he's, he's someone I've heard of but not some uh, not a rapper I'm too familiar with but um, yeah again these two um, just went straight at it from the bell with kendo sticks, didn't they? Just barring the absolute bejesus out of each other. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty about it. Like, part of me thought they going to get people to bang drums that were in the ring while they're wrestling or something like that. I don't know exactly. This is a case of other drums and all sorts of other weapons that they can use to, to fight with, which I think is the best thing you could have hoped for. And, like, a following biggie, like, yeah, I think, I think there may be a bit of lip syncing on Wally's part. Uh, but he is good friends with the New Day and everything, so it makes sense why, why he was doing the, the theme song. And, you know, I think it could have gone a bit uh, longer, this match, because, you know, Biggie's first big Mania match since like, the split for the New Day. A lot of people were hoping for a big showcase for him at WrestleMania. But, you know, at least he got uh, B on the card. Apollo, he's a new gimmick. He's finally, like, getting something. But, like I said, it could have went a few minutes longer, sure, because like, it went, like, six minutes, 50, as I said. And uh, Biggie seemed to have like Apollo easily beaten those six minutes before his uh, his new bodyguard showed up. You know, formerly Dabakato and before that Babatunde, and now he's got a new name, which I'm going to double check what that is because I think he'd be if he's going to be also be billed as Nigerian like uh, Apollo Babatunde would be the best name for him. Uh, just go back to that and see that's his real name. Well, here it is, Commander Aziz is his new name. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I wasn't sure about uh, Apollo's new gimmick to start with. I, I thought it was some sort of out-of-touch idea by Vince McMahon, but from what I hear, it was Apollo's idea, and he really does have uh, Nigerian heritage. So so fair play to him, and he, he's given himself uh, a gimmick and a character he can sink his teeth in, and it, it seems to be working from him. It's He's got more about him than he's he has done for the last four or five years for me. And, uh, yeah, interesting pairing with uh, Commander Azur, did you say his name was? Or yeah, I think it, I think it was like similar to like when they, when they just changed his name. It reminds me of like when Iron Sheet was changed to like uh, Colonel Mustafa or whatever he was, he was called mm. then. But 
Yeah, I think it is, it is interesting to see that Apollo is like part of the reason behind this change. Is, yeah, I think there are people who say he had a similar gimmick on the Indies when he was called Uha Nation, but I hadn't really seen any of his work before he came to NXT. Uh, but when I first saw it, I remember like a lot of people said, like, seems weird he's having this gimmick at the same time a Coming to America sequel's coming out, or I thought, like, has Vince just seen Black Panther for the first time? <laughs> I think this is what everybody kids are into. Like, they like superheroes, and like, because Apollo's gimmick was one step off him coming out and yelling Wakanda forever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, I, I quite like the finish because it, it protected Big E because um, he had the sort of visual win with nailing him with the big ending, which looked like it was all over, and then he gets destroyed by a, a seven-foot giant. So, um Yeah. It protected Big E and put the Intercontinental title on Apollo, which he really needed after uh, all the defeats he suffered to Big E of late. And, uh, yeah, makes me wonder if they really knew what uh, a Nigerian drum match really was because they announced it. And it basically, as you said, just became like a street fight with a a few drums and a, a gong around the ring. Yeah, I think I don't think I think the word is that WWE didn't know what it was until they, like even when they announced what it was and they were promoting that. I don't think because they had a kickoff match. Go, so what the hell is a Nigerian drum match? And Booker T uh, on the kickoff show tried to claim he knew he was the only person who could comment on what this might be. He said, uh, you know, me being from, he said, I'm also from the motherland of what? What you mean, Houston, Texas? Well, since when is Houston, Texas been referred to as the motherland? Booker, I mean. I know you had an African. You, you try to speak with an African accent when you went to TNA, but that does not make you an expert in a Nigerian drum match, sir. Oh, in fact, it wasn't that long ago we saw uh, Babateto or Commander Azor or whatever we're calling him on um, Raw Underground beating seven bells out of uh, much smaller men. Yet everyone's acting like they don't know who he is when he shows up. <laughs> Maybe it was his outfit changed. Maybe they didn't recognise him at first. But I love how he's like showing up as part of a pot as well as a new heater. Like I think it's a case of like, hmm, we got almost on raw. We need a big like bruiser, intimidating bodyguard on Matton. Forget get him back up. He was on raw underground as well. And I do think it suits Apollo's like entitled character that he keeps losing, but then begs for more opportunities, and then almost loses without the help of his bodyguard. He does all the work, and then he covers him. But then he'll probably show up on SmackDown and talk about how he beat, how he destroyed Biggie and did it all by himself and everything. Yeah. And I, I think he can maybe have a long reign here because I think this has been done to maybe save up or free up uh, Biggie for bigger things like a, a run at the Universal title, perhaps. Yeah, Biggie, someone else that I wouldn't mind winning the, the Money in the Bank briefcase, actually. I really hope, I know we've been saying this for the past three or four years, but I really hope they put the Money in the Bank briefcase and somebody they actually have plans for and um, want to give a push to, not just the flavour of the month like Otis and then panic and have to get it off in some, in some convoluted way like they did with Otis at SummerSlam and those flipping, um, what did they do, like uh, court, wrestling court sort of skits, mm-hmm. didn't they? Which were quite funny, to be fair, but still, uh, you know, stop putting it on people you don't intend to win the title. Give it to somebody who's just like a couple of steps away 
from being believable uh, Universal WWE challengers. So you can do something believable with them and something useful with the, the briefcase. Yeah, I think they or if was always going to if he did cash anyway, he was always going to be unsuccessful. But I don't know, like if Roman Reigns is the child, he's got a good two of his best matches out of him. Imagine a one pay per view program with Otis. What kind of match uh, Roman could have got out of Otis, which would have been a match we probably still would have been talking about for the rest of his career. Uh, Otis's career, that is. Uh, I do think there are quite a few contenders this year for uh, the men's money in the bank. I don't know about the women's, but I will say, have this in mind for the next uh, couple of women's money in the banks is that currently the women's money in the bank is a 100% success rate. And uh, also, that's how the men started. So uh, I think it's only a matter of time before we get a failed women's cash in. Yeah, uh, it'll happen eventually. And I think only Kamala so far has held it on for a decent amount of time. Most um, other than that, Asuka actually won the title with it. Uh, Bailey cashed. I think both Bailey and Alexa Bliss cashed it in on mm-hmm. the same night, didn't they? They they won it. So um, yeah, Carmella was the longest. Carmella almost like how did she sell it for two hundred odd days? She held it compared to just one day. You know, everybody else looks like Kane in '98, while she looks like fucking, uh, or like Kane when he held it in 2010, uh, and she looks like fucking Edge back in the day. <laughs> but yeah, I'm quite looking forward to WrestleMania Money in the Bank when uh, that <laughs> comes around. Or uh, let me get to uh, WrestleMania Extreme Rules right before that, right before. SummerSlam, and then we get SummerSlam Clash of Champions and <laughs> SummerSlam Hell in a Cell. Uh, just, gonna keep, just, just theme all of your big, your non-Big Four pay-per-views, or Big Five, if we're trying to include Find the Bank is one of the big ones, which I don't know if it is or not, but you know, just theme all of your non-Big Four pay-per-views around one of the Big Fours, like, you just call uh, TLC Survivor Series TLC or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the idea uh, a couple of years ago when they moved Money in the Bank to the uh, pay-per-view right after WrestleMania was to try and stop the the sort of post-WrestleMania drop-off. And I don't think it really worked. probably didn't help that they uh, keep putting the briefcase on people nobody really cares about, especially on the men's side of things. So far, they've, they've done a decent job on the women's side of things. So perhaps that hasn't worked. So they decided perhaps we'll just keep the WrestleMania tagline. That's what'll keep people going. WrestleMania backlash. That's it. I think the other thing with the way the placement of Money in the Bank is that they were maybe trying to do for that what King of the Ring used to be because King of the Ring used to be considered a hit up there. They represented mm. it similar to the Big Four and that for a while it was just those five pay per views and then they had the B pay per views, but they were all clearly leading to either Mania, SummerSlam, King of the Ring. Survivor Series of the Rumble. So I think they're trying to do the same for Money in the Bank. They even like, did the thing where they had uh, a takeover the same weekend as that to try and make it feel as big as it, as it was. And I think also the part of the thing about WrestleMania Backlash is that a lot of people usually know that, that most of the like pay-per-views, when you get to the pay-per-view right after WrestleMania, there are often a lot of Mania rematches involved. So maybe they thought, uh, might as well put the Mania tagline on it, because people probably know what to expect. Because we're even getting I mean, a rematch in the one match that's confirmed for it, which is Lashley versus Drew. So you may as well slap that tagline on it. But it is 
some people might be wondering, why the hell are you talking about Money in the Bank so much? Why don't you go back to the card? Well, we talked about Asuka when Money in the Bank won the title, and she's basically carried the Raw Women's Division up to this point. So it's just as well she's finally getting a decent spot on the Mania card. Yeah, I was quite surprised this went um, the penultimate match, and I was pleasantly surprised. I was glad it got a high-profile spot. And it was okay. It was a decent match. It wasn't quite up there with um, Sasha and Bianca Belair, but it's understandable when they sort of threw the match together about a fortnight ago. And um, Rhea's just been sort of sitting around waiting in the back for a big debut. Apparently she's been ready to go since Royal Rumble, but um, creative... (laughs) didn't quite know how to introduce her to things, so God knows what they were going to do. I think apparently I saw on the internet today that they were going to debut her the night after WrestleMania, but when plans for Charlotte went awry, they uh, pushed it forward, which I'm glad. I'd much prefer to get um, Asuka versus uh, Rhea Ripley than Charlotte versus Lacey Evans, to be quite honest. Sorry, Nathan. It is weird how much, how much uh, this match has changed about what they were going to do with the Raw Women's title. Because for a while, I remember like SmackDown and matching had its women's and world title things clearly mapped out for the Rumble because it was clear that Edge and Bianca were going to choose their champions. And then they both rightfully made about each night a mania. Whereas for a long time, it seems like it was clear that the quality of SmackDown last year has led to that being the focus. Whereas Raw's like, what the fuck do we do with the WWE and Raw Women's titles? Like, okay, we've got Lashley. When the title, well, the title, let's have MV Drew. What are we going to do with the Raw Women's title? Uh, look over at Katie. Rhea, you're debuting tonight. Because uh, <laughs> apparently Rhea was told that she was challenging Asuka at like 4pm the day of the, the Raw that happened on. So that goes to show you how last minute it was. And I said about it would be nice to Asuka get a featured spot on Mania. Because like, I remember she's lost at Mania 34 uh, to Charlotte, even though that was a great match. She got put on the pre-show Battle Royal after having the SmackDown Women's title just taken off her and then didn't win it. And then got I did often I'd be on the first empty arena matches when people weren't used to empty arena matches, her and Kyrie beat Alexa and Nikki and they lost there. And now Asuka, much like Sasha, remains winless at WrestleMania, which is surprising. So losing to Rhea. Uh, the one thing I'll say about this match is that while it was good, one thing that may have hurt it is maybe the placement, because while it's the same I mean spot, I mean it probably isn't anything to sniff at. Maybe they would have been better served if Asuka and Rhea opened WrestleMania, similar to like the Bobby and Drew opening the night before, and that like it's a high-profile match and it kicks the crowd off in a hot way rather than booing loudly when the Fiend and Alexa just stare at each other. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it might have been a a good choice to open the show with, but maybe they open with uh, Fiend and Morton because of all the sort of shenanigans they had going on for the um, for the entrances and whatnot. And Rhea mm. came out to live music as well. I think I think it's good because you know we, we see a lot of people come in to Raw and SmackDown from NXT, and they spend a long time spinning their wheels in feuds with like Dolph Ziggler's and uh, <laughs> and the and the type and by the time they do anything you're already bored with them but yeah they Rhea Ripley's got lucky and she's got pushed straight into uh, a title match and uh, has won the raw title so hopefully uh, this 
trajectory will um, continue. There is a slight worry because Charlotte came back on Raw that she might um, win, <laughs> go on with the title straight away, but hopefully, hopefully not. Uh, she's going she's gonna to win the money in the bank. I can feel it. Charlotte's going to win money in the bank. I can, I can just feel it in my gut. But I think, yeah, the, this live music thing, at first she was a bit quiet, woman singing uh, Brutality, which at least that told me, like, well, she's clearly not lip-syncing. But also it picked up, and uh, it was a hell of an entrance for Rhea, and she's now one of only a handful of people to get a live entrance and not lose, because, you know, it seems to be whenever you get a live entrance, you, you tend to lose. So, like, you like, Triple H at Mania 18, Rey Mysterio at Mania 22, what is two of the only people I can think of? I think Mason mentioned an example that I've uh, forgotten about. Somebody who got a live performance in one, but I cannot remember off the top of my head. But could have been know. under, could it could have been Undertaker? Didn't I think he might yeah. got a live, a live event? Yeah, was it been the biscuit and and obviously won because he had his undefeated streak. So that might have, that might have been the one. That's the one that comes to mind anyway. Yeah, because like, yeah, previously they got announced that, that Mania is WWE's favourite band in the whole world. But <laughs> So yeah, she's one of the few people to get a, a live entrance and win. And it's a hell of a thing for her age to get this like so early because like her and Damien Peace seem to be like, like after years of bad call-ups, they seem to have started off their runs on the main roster. Off and like, yeah, it's unfortunate Keith Lee medically apparently can't appear on TV when there was there, but there were plans for me when the US title, he won the... Uh, the, the, he won a match against Randy Orton on pay-per-view cleanly in his first night, his first like, week. So uh, it seems to be hopefully turning around a little bit, he'd think, for the uh, the call-ups uh, recently. But yeah, I think the placement did hurt. I mean, the match on Raw was better, and this seems to be a triple threat, at least brewing at some point. So uh, while it suffered because of placement, I don't think it's a case of the quality of the match. And I think Asuka and Rio will probably face off more than once and lead up to SummerSlam, so they'll have a chance to do better, I think. Yeah, as I say, it, it wasn't um, the best match, but it certainly wasn't the worst. I quite like the story. Asuka throwing everything at Rhea, but being unable to put her away. Um, <laughs> I'd have liked to have seen a bit more impact in the Riptide that put Asuka away. Um, I don't want to criticise people too much, but it, it felt like it could have been... You know, because we know Asuka can, t- Asuka can take a move. It'd be nice if it had a bit more oomph in that finishing riptide. But yeah, I think I think the right winner. And I, you know, I know it's you put it that Asuka has, has yet to win on a, a WrestleMania, but she's had a really good run with the the Raw title. Uh, I think it's nice to put it on someone fresh. Yeah, because like she won the the title at, at Money in the Bank. Oh, uh, not knowing that she'd won it, but then lost it to Sasha for like three weeks, won it back at SummerSlam, and has basically carried the division for the last year since Becky went away. Like, she kind of had to step into that Becky role when she left, and uh, I think she had disappeared for a, couple, for a month or so with a, 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 perhaps a concussion, because she got kicked a bit hard by Cena Baszler in a tag match, but then you got this fancy and she's seen, she can't see becoming all confident, going back to the whole you're not ready for us. Kind of thing, like she was even mouthing along with her own ring introduction, even mouthing even the words that she is the Raw Women's Champion, and then Rhea kind of upsets her, and after like 13, 13 and a half minutes, and 
also like that Rhea brought back that reverse uh, Texas Cloverleaf that she does, especially on someone smaller like Asuka, because it just makes Rhea look more dominant. She's able to get her up on a move like that, and it'll help counteract the fact that Asuka also has the Asuka lot. So it was a strong performance, I think. But yeah, I think maybe, I don't know if maybe the recent concussion or uh, what happened with Shayna is part of the reason why she didn't take too impactful of a, of a riptide, or maybe after 30 bit minutes. Rhea was a bit tired and couldn't get her up all the way. Yeah, it might be. I say I don't want to. I don't want to criticise too much. It's just uh, you know a little thing because Asuka's supposed to be quite tough, and um, I did wonder if she might have kicked out at, what, uh, at first. But no, really, good. it's still a decent match, and I'm glad Rhea won. It'd be nice to see what they do going forward. Yeah, it was a bit of a shame that Asuka got. Uh, put on the shelf a bit of a concussion and whatnot, but there was because there was talks at one stage they feared she might miss wrestle. Well, David Meltzer put it out she might miss WrestleMania, and then the next the next Monday she's back on Raw. So not quite sure where he got that inf- information from, but but there you go. So again, I got these at the same first for the same I mean, event. You know, getting thirty minutes, you know, which is a couple minutes shorter than one of the previous nights. Then I mean being Bad Bunny and Priest versus Miz and Morrison, we talked about how much time that got, but then we got into the main event, which got the most time of any match across both nights, it got 21 minutes, uh, 40 I think, so I think it's fair given the three guys involved in it, and I definitely think match of the night, maybe match of the weekend is the universal title match. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a testament um, that both the main events for each Night are sort of contenders for being overall match of WrestleMania, which isn't always the case. Sometimes the main events can be a little bit of a letdown. So, uh, yeah, really good. But, um, you know, it's you can go either way, but this was an incredible match. Uh, like the others started off straight away, hard hitting. I like the fact that Jay didn't wait to get involved. He was getting involved straight away and then was taken out by Edge. So he had a reason why he didn't get involved again until later on. So that was quite well constructed, I thought. Yeah, and going into it, I thought about the uh, the, the WrestleMania SmackDown with the, the three promos that really made you question like who could win all the possibilities that were coming to end. Uh, apparently, Heyman, Dan- Brian, and Edge all had parts to play, like putting together this match. And Heyman has been involved in the main reason why Roman's matches have been very story based since he's turned to the tribal chief, which I like because it sets him apart from everything else uh, on the show. And again, it made you question what was going to happen. So many false finishes. You know, the fact that Edge and Daniel Bryan both took like a chair toes after what they'd been through. So they'll add a tremendous amount of faith, or maybe they're a lot in a lot better shape than we might think they might be. And I was, I, I picked Edge to win in predictions, and was so certain he was going to win. He sent up the concerto, and then maybe took that a little bit too long, which allowed Jay so to get involved. And in but honestly, they could have went either way. It's rare for a heel to go over, but I'm not arguing with Roman going over because much like Lashley. Even though he's had the title longer, he's done some of the best for his career, and I don't know if I was really ready for his title reign to end. Yeah, uh, predictions. Um, I went Daniel Bryan. I was, I was convinced Roman was 
was losing, but it was a nice surprise that he retained and um, I won the predictions anyway, so it, it didn't really matter <laughs> by that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Roman is is absolutely on top of his game at the moment. He's doing his best work by a mile. He's obviously loving this character and loving what he's been given to do. And yeah, he's just one of the best, if not the best at the moment. He's awesome. And I loved the spot where um, I think it was Edge at first put a, uh, put a cross face on Roman and Roman mm-hmm. was hanging on. So he grabbed this like broken bit of chair leg and jammed that in Roman's mouth. And uh, Daniel Bryan had to do the old catch his arm to stop him from tapping out. And then he put him in a, a move at the same time. So I was thinking, oh, what, what happens if Roman gives up here? Who actually wins the match? <laughs> but uh... Uh, I've also, like I said, I heard like as a bride in that, and Edge had like parts to contribute to the match. I think the, the spot that follows with them head for each other was Brian's idea. You may think that I'll never watch it. Like Brian, don't do that. Last thing you did that many was you and Dolph Ziggler at Mania Thirty One, and you had to retire shortly after that. So please don't put yourself out of the ring again. And yeah, like, I was happy that Brian put him and also tried looking at submission because at first I thought they were going to repeat the whole. Oh, somebody stops the arm going down because I thought we just saw that stand and delivered during the tag match and we said even then it was a word play but I like that they changed up with them Brian locking in a submission mm. and basically like let go no, you let go and they head by each other till the other till one of them let go and I do think that double cross face will be one of the main spots that this match is remembered for and uh, what's good for Edge is that he finally managed to get that entrance like coming out metal playing and like all the pyro going off it was an insane amount of pyro that the Edge got and well-deserved. And then the fact that uh, Roman made them wait, his music played for a good 20 or so seconds before he came out. He's like, no, I am the tribal chief, I am the champion, you all wait for me. Yeah, I just love that about his character. He's, uh, everything's done on his his time, his schedule, and yeah, he'll come out when he's goddamn ready and he feels like it. Mm-hmm. Um Brilliant stuff. Also, like, Daniel Bryan brought back his diving headbutt off the top rope, which I don't think he's done since uh, his retirement. I, I hope I don't see him do it again, because that, that that is one of the moves that does tend to mess wrestlers up when they do it too often, those diving headbutts. Harley Race mm-hmm. even said he wished he'd, he'd never done the move. So, uh, yeah, please don't start doing that all the time, Daniel. Yeah, that is a hard one a, to watch. I mean, looking at the the Chris Benoit, he's mm. just a case for not like, doing that move. But uh, it's a bit like plans, and I mentioned like the whole switch with uh, with Orton. Apparently, they also reported that and the sources that I've seen and uh, like news videos I've seen that uh, reports are I think like the people in uh, wrestling observers that uh, Roman was always meant to go over. It was always maybe Roman who won. Uh, Brian wasn't really officially added to like the week of Fastlane into the plans uh, for Mania. And at one point, also uh, a few weeks before Mania, Vince almost got cold feet about Roman winning because he wanted thinking about fans going home happy and almost had it edge wins by pinning Brian. But then decided to go back to the original plan stick with Roman winning because he's apparently been getting rave reviews backstage for his work as the tribal chief, and I can see why. 
and I think either plan, I think people would have popped for because like people could see it going either either direction. I wonder what happens with Roman now. I wouldn't be surprised because nobody talks about Walter being one of the few guys who gets long reign. Roman's another character right now who can have a long reign with the title if they want him to. I wouldn't be surprised if he holds it all the way to SummerSlam, you know, because that would be around about a year since he came back and officially started this, this new character that he's got. You know, and I like him. I like the idea of him holding it for like a year or so, being like the final boss of SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, he could definitely hold it, maybe even till next WrestleMania if you if you book you know carry on booking him like they are doing. Uh, you just don't know. Uh, it's going to be a really big moment when somebody finally beats him, I think. And it'd be good to see what happens to his character when he hasn't got the title as well. That'll be a, a, an interesting kink uh, in his head-of-the-table character. Can he still claim to be head-of-the-table if he hasn't got the title anymore? It'll um, it'll make for some interesting storytelling, hopefully, if they can get it right. And it, it does make you wonder how you could smack down be so interesting and organised and raw such a shambles. I don't know. I mean, and NXT, I think, from what I've seen, everybody's already raving about the difference in, in, uh, on Tuesdays now. You know, you had, uh, I think, you got around 805,000 viewers on the polls. I know AEW cracked a million, but still, like, it's still an improvement to what NXT was getting uh, before. Like, it's even better than when they beat AEW by having a takeover, so this is an unopposed non-takeover night, and they're getting that kind of rating, so, yeah, I think Raw is what drags WWE down, and it has for years, because, like, NXT's been great, you know, SmackDown's great, and then Raw is just that 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 I, that one just hit, hit stopping us from getting to where it should be, just weighing us down as, as Raw, you know, like Gordon Ramsay used to say, you know, what's the problem? It's fucking Raw! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Roman Reigns apparently from what I've heard there's like three potential big matches they want to do with Reigns they say they can do it with or without the title but there are potential big matches all about for Roman like seeing Roman in the future may fighting Brock John Cena or The Rock and I know Rock Roman is something people talked about for WrestleMania but say about them holding the title all the way in next year's Mania which is in Texas the following year they're in uh, Hollywood and Rock obviously has made a name for himself in Hollywood. I'm wondering, do they save Roman versus The Rock for that mania? Because I've said that maybe that mania is where The Rock goes into the Hall of Fame. Uh, or I think, because like, like, I don't think he's let Roman hold the tail all the way to that mania in two years' time. So maybe do they do Roman versus The Rock with or without the tail at 38? Roman retires The Rock the following year, The Rock goes into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they definitely could do that. It'd be be interesting i'm not completely convinced rock will come back on wrestle again but if the money's right and the storyline's right he, he might consider it so you you can never say never when it comes to to wrestling so that would be an interesting one to do and yeah um brock lesnar coming back maybe as a baby face and taking on Roman with Paul Heyman as a heel, that could be a, a different and interesting dynamic they could do, perhaps at a SummerSlam or something if fans are about, because I can't see Brock coming back until um, fans are allowed and things with the virus yeah. are relatively settled down. It's not like he needs the money, so he doesn't really need to put himself at, at risk 
well, the, well, there's still a pandemic no, no. about, so um, yeah, yeah. So like, I think all three of them have like something with Roman. Like, yeah, Heyman's got the connect. There's a connection with Heyman with Brock, and that every Brock he said is the face for the first time in a long time. Cena has always has that uh, potential to like want to try and beat players' record, and maybe coming after the Universal title, the only version of a world title that he's had, he hasn't held yet. No, because he's held the WWE and World Heavyweight. And so maybe he comes after the Universal title and then The Rock. I think everybody knows that The Rock story writes itself because you know, the history of the family and The Rock, he's way ahead of the table. Uh, and then you have Roman say, like, they brought you, they tried to make you, they tried to use you to get me to be accepted rather than let me have my own path. Like that time where they brought him out at the 2015 mm. Rumble and people still booed Roman. So you can reference back to that. You know, fucking Roman was in Hobbs the Jaw for fuck's sake. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of backstory and whatnot they can reference with a Rock and Roman match, so it'd be very interesting. And what did you make of the finish, Scott? Uh, Roman pinning both men at the same time. I noticed a little... I don't know if everybody saw this. I, I missed it at first, but uh, the second time I watched it, I noticed he positioned them both... Uh, on top of each other, but also so both men's shoulders were on the mat, which I thought was quite quite clever. Yeah, I think it's a, a true statement of like dominance by Roman. Yeah, cause I think he said something that he would do this uh, in his promo. He said he'd stack him up, and he did. So he followed in his statement. He proved that for that shadow of a doubt, he's the winner of this match. And a lot of people did come out on Twitter and say like, but it's an edge we've been in Brian, but like. Edge is on down. Edge may be on top of Brian, but his shoulders are down as well. And clearly, Roman is on top of. And I think it's clear who's doing the pin in there. Even though, like, there was a bit of back and forth between Adam Pearce and Charles Robinson, who was the referee. So there's always a chance that tonight on SmackDown they can try and work this into a storyline. Maybe a backlash where Roman doesn't feel like wrestling and say, "Oh, you two fight each other." Backlash winner gets to be the number one contender for my title. So it sets up a non contender thing between Brian and Edge for uh, the title, which I wouldn't mind seeing how it helps continue the storyline. Yeah, no, hopefully at some point down the line, Edge gets his one-on-one match with Roman, and yeah, they could do Edge and Roman at Backlash, or like you say, um, number one contenders match, Edge versus Brian, which would be equally as good, and then Roman doesn't defend it until WrestleMania money in the bank. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you, or, he, or he does what he did at the Elimination Chamber and comes out and challenges the winner right now on the spot. So, uh, yeah, there's a few ways you could go with that, which makes things interesting. And also quite like to see a rematch between, like I said, um, on a night one review, a rematch between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, where Sasha's used a bit of sway to get Bianca's hair outlawed. Yeah, so like I said, I think there's going to be quite a few WrestleMania rematches come uh, backlash. And I think in some way Rhea and Asuka will be against each other whether in a singles match or in a trouble threat with Charlotte. So while there have been some like WrestleMania kind of continuation, I think when you actually look at it, coming out of night one and two, backlash actually could end up to be a, a pretty great pay-per-view. Yeah, and, and unlike some other um, 
B pay-per-views where we've got loads of rematches. These are actually rematches we want to see. So um, Mm -hmm. you get no good plates from me if uh, that's what the card ends up being. I mean, like you make a riddle Seamus again. Uh, I think it would be funny uh, that see you have like Apollo getting all these chances against Big E, and then Big E comes and says, "Okay, then you got all these chances. I want another chance." And then Apollo Cruz basically says, "Nah," and refuses to give Big E a shot at the title. Excuse me. Yeah, definitely can uh, see something like that. I'm trying to weasel his way out of having to defend it again. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. If they do a different sort of gimmick match or something, um, well, yeah, like maybe they have to think like General Commander Aziz or whatever he's called now first before he fights the fall. Yeah, perhaps, but I'm not too sure because they do like to keep these big men quite strong, don't they? Unless um, mm-hmm. Biggie, they can find a way of having Biggie go over him while protecting him, like. Apollo gets panicky and tries to interfere and costs him the match or something. Yeah, it, it could happen. You know, I mean, sometimes the big men don't get the best start. I mean, sometimes, you know, in other companies, if you're an EVP, you beat a big man in his first match. I had a word, though. I don't care if it was a really good case match. He was a big guy and he lost his first fucking match. Or you lose your third match in a... Uh, title tournament to the same bloke who beat Wardlow in his first match, bizarrely, and they wonder why he get and they wonder why he gets the Triple H comparisons. Uh huh. And now he's having uh fucking he's got fucking QT Marshall and his band of unknowns and people who actually like him. Uh, one, he's a big fan of Kane, apparently. And he says the kid how much he hated Tory and went to school upset when Tory left Kane for Xbox, which I feel you, man. And also, I like working his way his name into a Wham song, saying that if I was live room and I needed to get up early, I'd say wake me up before I go go. <laughs> I know I'm better than that, but come on, I just give him that one. <laughs> that is pretty genius, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, I, I wonder if anyone's actually said that to him before, if anyone else has been as silly as me and did that, because I imagine if, it, if anyone has thought that his life must have been hell for that, with that song. So. Got, got to have, got to have, surely. Surely. I mean, I've got a friend, Stacey, who despises the song Stacey's mum for obvious reasons. I mean, I, I mean, I, I went out. I went out of a carry once, and uh, I kept wondering if she was going to spin her head round and and crazy things. Yeah, I think we can tell that we've clearly like we're clearly going off on a road we're not going to ever on. So maybe we should wrap this up. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's been both nights of WrestleMania. I'd, I think we, if, if last night was called the good night, this should be called the the night that wasn't as bad as people made out. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. It finished off in the best way. The night that started off a bit iffy, but actually turned out to be quite good in the end. I don't know if Nathan will fit that. We only fit that all in the uh, the anchor title card, but <laughs> uh, do his best. Do his best there, I'm sure. I doubt he'll even listen back to this. But yeah, you can find us at uh, 
rogue underscore opinions on twitter and instagram and make sure you check out our other pods obviously there's night one and if you're listening to night two before you've listened to night one what are you doing <laughs> you've got it the wrong <laughs> way round yeah. <laughs> but yeah make maybe sure some check. people are doing this car because you know some people just like to watch the world burn you know <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> Or, or you could be uh, Liam and just be backwards. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Liam. Well, we'll edit that out. You'll never know I said it. Uh, but yeah, you can also check out the Bantam Unit podcast I do with uh, Liam. I've just mentioned see TRS Agway there and um, and Reese where we talk football and also Mandalorian Pod that uh, me and Scott have taken over doing. So uh, make sure you check out that. Hopefully episode four. Is it episode six we're on? Hopefully that'll be coming yeah, out shortly. And um, mm-hmm. the Rogue Chronicles that I also do with Liam where we talk about uh, popular villains of um, sci-fi and pop culture. So make sure you check those out. And Scott, over to your blogs. Thank you very much, Carl. Yes, we have been spending a lot of time together recently with this takeover that Mandalorian came up. I think afterwards we need to take a break. We need to do a Ross and Rachel for a few days before we end up getting back to any other podcasts we might have to do together. But <laughs> if you, you can find me uh, at Twitter at Scotland1896. You can find my other podcast, Scott Ball Round Podcast at SP Rambling. We've got Impact Wrestling episodes coming out this weekend, if not the start of next week. Uh, you should be listening to this on a Saturday if you listen to it the day it comes out. Tomorrow, next episode of Rogue Ritual Smackdown comes out with a uh, an episode that's two and a bit hours long. Would have been a, a bit shorter if we didn't have to keep going on rants. But <laughs> is it, with the fans. is it not WrestleMania SmackDown, Scott? No. No, it's the <laughs> two weeks from WrestleMania 2000 SmackDown. And Stephen McMahon annoys us so much we keep ranting and raving about shit. <laughs> and, uh, also, we get a weird tangent about WF aggression because the way we keep promoting on that particular episode. Uh, and I talk about Run DMC and Method Man and all sorts of things, even though I know nothing about hip hop. But there you go, there's a there's an advert and a half for that episode. But also, Eat Sleep Souffle's retreat at Souffle's retreat. I've been doing stuff for them there. Where we do a series there called Quiz Showdown. Sometimes a quiz series, sometimes I'm hosting it. I've hosted it once, I'm hoping to host it again. Uh, and sometimes I've competed on it. I'm a two time Quiz Showdown champion. Uh, we're we're recording it next week and next couple weeks we're going to release a a pop culturally themed uh, themed one Quiz Showdown 10 Paper Snow A Ghost is the full title of it and we also I'm also on a show next week for them uh, that covers the last two series of Dark Side of the Ring before preparing for what we are looking forward to and the topics that are coming out in Dark Side of the Ring season 3 and all that stuff I also do some New Japan stuff for them as well and that's pretty much all. Uh, I think, girl, I don't know if I mentioned it to you or not, but was it you I said before that if I added up all the time together I've done on podcasts, that 5%, at least of all uh, those podcasts I've been on, is just me plugging that podcast and all other podcasts I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure if I worked, if I did the Steiner math on it, it would, be work out, it would work out to the... It'd be something like that. It'd be three quarters um, doing that podcast and then ten eighths talking about wrestling and 
then you've got two chances of beating me at predictions. <laughs> the numbers don't lie, you know. Usually, a prediction in Rogue Pines, you've got a 20-25% chance at best of winning. Then you get Carl and the genetic freak who's been watching wrestling, even since the dark days of King Mabel. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, <laughs> don't bring those memories back again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, before Carl kills me for reminding him of those days, because I wasn't there, man. I wasn't there. I don't know. Uh, I'll just say goodbye and thank you for joining us for these two nights of Mania Reviews. Yep. Goodbye. This is my brutality!